Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Good afternoon. Welcome to Elvis Targeted Individual Community Call. It's Thursday, May 7th, 2015. I'm having to redo the recordings from episodes 737 and 738 due to external third-party tampering with the audio, meaning generally what's happening is when I do a show, especially one that has relevance, there's something called stop loss. It's a tactic and a technique that is utilized so that if you're on a roll, and you're providing information that is relevant that could help, especially in particular victims of these crimes, to be able to better comprehend the the psychological and the tactical operations that are being deployed and executed, what they will do is they will disrupt that recording so that it's a stop and then you lose your train of thought or you lose the flow of information that is being provided to you. In my case, with TalkShoe, in terms of my recordings, the vast majority of my recordings, you, if you go back and listen, you will see that there are constant disruptions through the audio playback, even though there's full signal. What does that mean? That means remote access, whether it's through the volume control of your PDA or your cell phone to the company itself, possibly, prior to uploading tampers with that particular recording. Now, you have to understand that the Constitution still exists. There's something called the First Amendment, that a person is protected under the freedom of speech. All these recordings show legally at this point in terms of those types of disruptions through external and or internal third party is that they are tampering with my right, my First Amendment right to freedom of speech. Nobody has the right to deliberately obstruct, disrupt, degrade a live recording of someone speaking their words in their constitutionally protected First Amendment right to freedom of speech. And when that transpires, they're committing a crime. So I went back to the two recordings, and they're very relevant because it has to do with the medical profession in particular the Psychiatric or the Psychological Association, American Psychological Association, and how people at the highest levels help to facilitate and or work with the executive branch of the Bush administration in order to indemnify and to justify the meaning of torture or what constituted torture. So it's a tactical operation that is utilized. It's called stop loss. And if you go through my recordings, you'll find that you're you're listening to what's happening, you're comprehending it, and then they disrupt the recording so as to lose that train of cognitive thought processing to be able to come up with a critical thought of your own as opposed to a narrative-driven bullcrap 
that the handlers and those directly involved attempt to utilize. So the last two recordings are relevant because they have been uh, from Democracy Now!, they were able to get the psychologists and those who did the, the independent investigation into the medical profession, in particular the American Psychological Association and their affiliation and their architectural designing of how to best interrogate through psychological breakdown, through psychological torture and terror and trauma, and how to utilize those tactics and then turn around and claim that because they were professionals, therefore it did not constitute torture. And that those at the highest levels knew. And they chose to selectively get their groups of people who would go with the program to cover it all up. And this morning, there was a psychiatrist, Dr. Lipton, who penned the book. uh, He's the author of Nazi Doctors and studied the whole dynamics of people in these type of professions who actively participate in atrocities. And he showed the parallels and the specious arguments that are utilized by these type of professionals in order to justify and or to not take personal responsibility. And they'll always come up with an argument so that they don't take personal responsibility. But in the end, the most important thing, number one, is that these type of exposings or these type of reports assist to validate the claims that targets have made, in particular, those TIs who were smart enough to document over the years because you predate any piece of information that comes out through the official channels or mainstream. But when they disrupt recordings like they've been doing to mine repeatedly because external third parties have criminal non Uh, warrantless access. You can go back to my recordings and you will see all the areas where they accessed and or disrupted, which means remote access, possibly to the PDA, to shut down the volume so that there are large gaps in the recording. Okay, those gaps are a psychological technique called stop loss where you're stopping the flow of information so that the individual and or individuals who are listening lose their train of thought or lose, you know, they just, they, they move on to something else. Because then you stop them from utilizing critical thinking skills. I think, and I will say, and I will repeat, it is a criminal act of illegal access in order to violate the natural, the flow of my First Amendment right to freedom of speech. So even though there was a a ruling today from the Second Circuit Court of Appeals that stated that the NSA's bulk collection under Section 215 of the USA Patriot Act is unconstitutional, my question now is, and your point is what? Everybody knew it was unconstitutional except for the socially engineered sheeple that go along with the program. I want to know how this information or these rulings 
can be used to include the Snowden leaks to criminally prosecute those who abuse those positions of power, authority, and expertise. Because you see, the victims like me, we've already been victimized by it. But for me personally, I want justice, criminal justice against these perpetrators. So let me attempt to do this recording again, play through these recordings from Democracy Now! because they are relevant and they do validate the claims that targets have already made, in particular about how the Psychiatric Association, the medical profession have actively participated in advancing, in particular, the biotechnologies, the neurotechnologies, and how we've been used as disposable human guinea pigs. And instead of having to wait 50 years for justice, when most of us will not even be alive to see it, targets like me want justice now. So let's see if I can do this recording without them disrupting and or turning up and down remotely the volume or the volume control from the recording off of TalkShoe's end in order to stop loss the information that I am providing. So the first one that I had um, recorded, episode 737, was Tuesday, May 5th, 2015, email show. American Psychological Association secretly worked with Bush administration to enable torture. Let me try that again. Hold on.
forward-looking, positive approach in which we convey a sensitivity to and appreciation of the important work mental health professionals are doing in the national security arena and in a supportive way offer our assistance in helping them navigate through thorny ethical dilemmas, unquote. One attendee was Kirk Hubbard then the Chief of Operations for the CIA Operational Assessment Division. He would later leave the CIA to work for the private firm set up by James Mitchell and Bruce Jessen, the psychologists who were hired as private contractors to set up the CIA interrogation program, including the waterboarding of prisoners. In one 2003 email, Hubbard wrote to a top APA official, quote, you won't get any feedback from Dr. James Mitchell or Jessen. They're doing special things to special people and special places and generally are not available, unquote. While the APA has attempted to distance itself from Mitchell and Jessen, the newly disclosed emails show the men attended a 2003 invite-only conference called the Science of Deception, sponsored by the APA, the CIA, and RAND Corporation to discuss so-called enhanced interrogations. We're joined now by two of the co-authors of the new report, All the President's Psychologists, the American Psychological Association's secret complicity with the White House and U.S. intelligence community in support of the CIA's enhanced interrogation program. Stephen Reisner is clinical psychologist and psychoanalyst. He's a founding member of the Coalition for an Ethical Psychology and advisor on psychology and ethics for physicians for human rights. He's currently a member of the APA Council of Representatives. Nathaniel Raymond is director of the Signal Program on Human Security and Technology at the Harvard Humanitarian Initiative. We did invite a representative from the APA to join us as well, but they declined. Last year, the APA commissioned an outside attorney named David Hoffman to conduct a third-party independent review of the allegations about the APA and the Bush administration torture program. Rhea Farberman, the APA's executive director for public and member communications, told Democracy Now! the APA won't respond to the allegations in the All the President's Psychologists report until Hoffman's review is completed. Stephen Reisner and Nathaniel Raymond, welcome back to Democracy Now! Okay, Nathaniel Raymond, why don't you lay out the core findings in your 60-page report? There are four core findings. Uh, the first is that the American Psychological Association allowed, as you mentioned, uh, Dr. Susan Brandon, it appears, who three weeks before the APA engaged in its ethics process in 2005, on psychological ethics and national security had been President Bush's behavioral science advisor. Um, she wrote what appears to be research language in the TENS report, the Psychological Ethics and National Security Policy of the APA. That language we now know because of the Science Select Committee on Intelligence report directly aligns with the legal memos authorizing the enhanced interrogation program and provided an ethical get-out-of-jail-free card that aligned with the then-classified legal get-out-of-jail-free card. Secondly, we see clear deception by the APA, including some outright lies, including the assertion for many years that James Mitchell, the CIA torture psychologist you mentioned had not been an APA member. We now know he was an APA member from 2001 to 2006. And the APA has also con contended, according to Dr. Stephen Benke, the ethics director, that they had had no contact 
on interrogations and interrogation techniques with Mitchell and Jessen. We now know that they discussed sensory overload and the use of psychopharmacological agents with Mitchell and Jessen in 2003. The last two critical findings, Amy, are that the APA, as we see throughout the emails, expressed no concern about clear evidence of abuse that at that point, between 2004 and 2005, was public knowledge. And lastly, uh, what we see in this report is a clear coordination that directly mirrors the timeline inside the Bush administration when Office of Medical Services personnel inside the CIA were raising concerns about human subjects research as part of the program. Uh, the APA, whether they knew it or not, allowed the administration to write a policy that basically helped put down that rebellion inside CIA. How? By allowing psychologists to play a critical monitoring and research role that was at the heart of the newly, then newly authorized Bradbury Office of Legal Counsel memo. If psychologists couldn't ethically play this role, if the APA had not engaged in this policy, it is highly likely that the interrogation program itself would have disintegrated. You ran um, Stephen Reisner for president of the American Psychological Association. Your main platform um, was speaking out against torture and APA's involvement with the Bush administration. You didn't win. Um, talk about what this means for the American Psychological Association. Well, I think the issue is what this means for the entire profession of psychologists and the fact that we are represented by the American Psychological Association. Because I think that what we're finding is that psychologists are feeling betrayed by our association. What has happened is that the ethics code that we are all trained in, that we align ourselves with, and that gives us our identity as uh, health professionals uh, dedicated to the public good, that ethics code and ethics policy was uh, twisted to align not only to align with what the government needed it to do, but in the service of torture. It is a betrayal of uh, what I think we all are expecting from and try to identify with from our association. So what, what has to happen right now is that we've got to, the membership, the council, any concerned American has to insist that we reclaim our association, put it back on an ethical track, and uh, find a way to expose this, be accountable for it, be transparent about it, and make significant change so that we can restore trust. We're going to go into detail on what the APA knew and when they knew it with Dr. Stephen Reisner and Nathaniel Raymond, co-authors of the new report, All the President Psychologists, in a minute. democracynow.org, the War and Peace Report. We're talking about a new report that has just come out on the American Psychological Association's involvement with the Bush administration's so-called Enhanced Interrogation Program. In 2005, Stephen Benke, the Director of Ethics with the American Psychological 
Ideological Association then and now appeared on Democracy Now! I don't have first-hand knowledge of what went on at Guantanamo. I know that the APA very much wants the facts, and that when APA has the facts, we will act on those facts. Stephen Benke appeared on the show in a debate with Michael Wilkes, chair of the Medical Ethics Committee at the British Medical Association. Dr. Benke went on to defend the APA's actions. In all fairness, the American Psychological Association is very clear that under no circumstances uh, is it uh, in any manner permissible for a psychologist to engage in, to support, to facilitate, to direct, or to advise torture or other cruel, inhuman, or degrading treatment. The American Psychological Association and the American Psychiatric Association uh, issued a joint statement uh, against uh, torture and cruel, inhuman, or degrading treatment in 1985. In 1986, the American Psychological Association issued another resolution uh, against torture. So uh, to even suggest that that would in any manner be permissible is uh, completely uh, out of bounds. Might I ask a direct question, because I'm really interested to know could I ask why the APA's presidential report then specifically recommends that psychologists should be involved in research into interrogation techniques? Well, uh, as I have, uh, as I've said, psychologists have been working together with law enforcement for many years uh, domestically in information gathering and interrogation processes. We believe that as experts in human behavior, psychologists have valuable contributions to make uh, to those activities. That's Dr. Stephen Benke on Democracy Now! in 2005. Our guests now are Dr. Stephen Reisner, a member of the American Psychological Association, and Nathaniel Raymond. They both co-authored the new report, All the President's uh, Psychologists. Nathan Raymond, Nathaniel Raymond, can you respond to what Dr. Banke said? Well, what we now know by reading the American Psychological Association's emails is that Dr. Dr. Banke's assertion in 2005 of bring us the facts and uh, we will respond directly contradicts his own words to the Operational Assessment Division of the Central Intelligence Agency in 2004, where he basically says, we are not going to investigate in the context of the secret meeting they had um, almost to the, uh, basically uh, to the day that the White House was reauthorizing the enhanced interrogation program, we're not going to investigate any claims of abuse or any charges made at that meeting. Um, that directly contradicts what he said on Democracy Now! Uh, second is his continued assertion that somehow the American Psychiatric Association, which endorsed in 2006 a clear ban on participation in all interrogations, direct participation by psychiatrists, is analogous to the APA position, um, is entirely specious. The fact of the matter is, is the American Psychological Association position in that Penn's report that we now know is the direct result of coordination with the intelligence community, and in some cases, elements of that community writing language in the report, critical research language, um, is it, it is entirely 
different to look at the APA position and the American Psychological Association position for one reason. The American Psychological Association based its policy on U.S. definitions of torture at that time, which we now know from the declassified Office of Legal Counsel memos had an entirely different view of what constituted, quote, torture and what constituted cruel and human and degrading treatment. So saying that those positions are the same is just not the facts. Explain what changed. What changed is there was two periods of change. The first is immediately after 9-11, we have evidence in the public record that the American Psychological Association changed a large portion of its ethics code related to research. And basically, it wrote out international and domestic protections on consent for human subjects research. Um, we know by different names some of those protections, such as the Nuremberg Code and the Common Rule. They allowed for the revocation of consent when consistent with a lawful order or regulation. That then combined with the second set of changes, which is the 2005 uh, PENS report, the Psychological Ethics and National Security Task Force report, then not only allows, but exhorts psychologists to have a research role in not only interrogations, but this is the key sentence, Amy, in determining what constitutes cruel and human degrading treatment. Now, last time I checked, psychologists were not lawyers. This is outside the professional competency of psychologists to make a legal determination based on research. The question is, why were they being asked to do that? In language that we now know from the emails appears to have been written by a White House, former White House official. The fact of the matter is that's exactly what the Bradbury memos that were then protecting the Bush administration from potential torture charges required. And that's exactly the concern that was being raised by the Office of the Inspector General internally at CIA, we now know from the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. So that one sentence about research into what constitutes cruel and human and degrading treatment positions psychologists to be the legal heat shield for the President of the United States. Dr. Reisner. Well, <clears throat> we listened to Dr. Benke say that the APA is opposed to torture, cruel, inhuman, and degrading treatment. At the very moment when they are writing into our ethics code, a policy that permits psychologists' very presence at those sites, researching, overseeing, and monitoring, that the psychologist being there is what makes it fall outside the definition of torture, cruel, inhuman, and degrading treatment concocted by the Justice Department in order to uh, legally allow the torture. So what we have is a working together between the psychologists, the American Psychological Association, the CIA, and the White House, to create a cover story that says that torture is not torture, that it's not legally torture under these rules. And the, while Dr. Benke is claiming that psychologists don't torture, psychologists are, in fact, torturing. And the APA seems to know it according to these emails and according to what was in the press. But so what he's doing is he's, he's parsing the facts and funneling it through a, a, a bent and distorted APA ethics code that has been changed simply to allow that program to continue. 
I want to read another one of newly disclosed emails. This is from Dr. Jeff Mumford, Director of uh, Science Policy at the APA, to CIA psychologist Dr. Kirk Hubbard, who was then Chief of Operations for the CIA Operational Assessment Division. Dr. Mumford writes, quote, I thought you and many of those copied here would be interested to know that APA grabbed the bull by the horns and released this Psychological Ethics and National Security Task Force report today, the Penn Task Force. I also wanted to semi-publicly acknowledge your personal contribution in getting this effort off the ground over a year ago. Your views were well represented by very carefully selected task force members, unquote. In another email, from 2005, the APA's Dr. Jeff Mumford admitted former White House advisor Susan Brandon, who was then at the National Institute of Mental Health, helped craft language for the Penn's report. Mumford wrote, quote, Susan serving as an observer, note she has returned to NIMH, at least temporarily, helped craft some language related to research, and I hope we can take advantage of the reorganization of the National Intelligence Program with its new emphasis on human intelligence to find a welcoming home for more psychological science. Okay, Nathaniel Raymond, talk about who Mumford is. Uh, talk about um, uh, also the significance of um, the Susan they are referring to, Susan Brandon, and her position today. Well, Jeff Mumford, then and now, uh, was executive director and is executive director of science policy at the American Psychological Association. And while he is one of the most prominent officials in these emails, I want to make clear he's not the only one. Um, we also see Rhea Farberman, the uh, spokeswoman who uh, denied any coordination between the APA and uh, the Bush administration in James Ryden's New York Times story. We see Steve Banking, and we also see, and this is new to our report, that the deputy CEO, Michael Honecker, uh, deputy CEO of APA, was also CC'd on one of the emails about the secret 2004 meeting. Um, Dr. Brandon then um, was, as you described, at NIMH. She served in a variety of roles National Institute at National Institutes of Mental Health, and she served in a variety of roles in the Department of Defense and elsewhere, but she also had been during the time of the planning of the 2003 conference that Mitchell and Jessen attended um, an APA employee previously. Um, now she is the chief scientist of the high-value interrogation group at the FBI. And in that role, she is basically the senior interrogation uh, research scientist in the U.S. government, um, and thus the, the high-value interrogation group, which advises the National Security Council at the White House, um, is the leading interrogation group in the intelligence community. Um, what we've seen is she's headed it now. She's, she's headed, headed it now. right now. And, uh, and I think that's something that's been missed in the coverage so far, is that this is not just about what happened five years ago. It is about currently serving. Obama administration official. And I, I want to say that Mark Fallon, um, the former assistant deputy director of the Naval Criminal Investigative Service, uh, came out, uh, NCIS, came out a few days ago um, calling for an independent prosecutor in these matters, including the issues raised in our report. He is serving as chair of an advisory group to the high-value interrogation group. So I want to make a, a point here that um, we have master interrogators, people who are affiliated with the current interrogation group um, who are raising real concerns about the allegations in our report are saying, this isn't old news. 
this has direct implications for accountability um, on these matters involving, in this case, the current administration officials. In 2007, psychologist Jean-Marie Arrigo stood on the dais before a standing room only crowd at the annual American Psychological Association meeting in uh, California. This came two years after she participated in an APA panel known as the Penn's Task Force that we've referred to today that concluded psychologists working in interrogations play a, quote, valuable and ethical role. Dr. Arrigo criticized the findings and makeup of the panel she was on. Six of the ten members were happy to the Department of Defense, contractors and military officers. For example, one was the commander, one was the talk about the significance of what she was saying. You know, Democracy Now! was there covering these meetings as, um, as the APA even tried to cut down public access to the public uh, parts of the meeting. Uh, but Dr. Steve Reisner, she served on the Penn's committee. That's right. She served believing that it was a committee that of, of interested and knowledgeable psychologists to actually uh, review ethics policy and national security. <clears throat> what she found was that the uh, task force seemed to have a predetermined agenda. That the members of the task force were involved in the very uh, in the very commands that were implicated in the abuse, and that the majority of the conclusions seemed to have already been drawn before they they began. They, they were it was a guided. Uh, she attempted to take notes during the meeting, is that right? That's right, and she was asked uh, not to, which is totally bizarre for a, a meeting that is trying to generate a new policy. She was taking notes, she was participating as if it was a, a, a regular meeting. It turned out that the meeting was a meeting of, as the emails reveal, carefully selected members. And that email was to Kirk Hubbard. The members were carefully selected in order, it seems, to guarantee what the CIA and the White House needed from that meeting. And that's what Jean Maria uh, realized and what she's talking about in that, uh, on that panel. She talked about having a meeting for a few hours and then being handed the resolution of the committee that's before right. she had even weighed in. That's right. The, the, the drafts came fast and furious. This meeting lasted two and a half days. And then the very final draft, where they added the piece on research, that came between the end of the meeting and I would, and just a you know, 12, 24 hours later, uh, the final rewritten version was sent to the members for them to just give their okay. It was whirlwind. They were told that this had to go to the Pentagon. It had to go to the White House. It was, there was, it was uh, hurried, and uh, there was very little room for critique. And Nathaniel Raymond, who do we now know wrote these drafts? Well, we know from the Penn's listserv, uh, and from uh, Jean Maria Rigo herself and others, that uh, Dr. Stephen Banky was responsible for being the uh, keeper of the 
draft and uh, during lunch breaks and in the evenings um, wrote the language in the report, but that's not the whole story. From what we see in the emails, as you mentioned, Dr. Brandon's avowed role by Dr. Mumford in the research piece um, raises the broader question of who were the observers in the room and how did they get there? Uh, what we see from the Penn's listserv, the listserv of this task force that Jean Maria Rigo um, has uh, helped the uh, world to see, um, that listserv um, shows that Dr. Gerald Kutcher and Dr. Barry Anton, um, who is the current president right now of the APA, uh, was responsible for approving the observers in the room. We now know that one of those observers was a senior administration official um, who had never, and still now, never been publicly acknowledged by the APA as having been in the room. So it's not just who was writing the report, it was Dr. Binky, it was who put those other people secretly in the room. And we now know it was uh, Drs. Anton and Kutcher, according to the listener. Why were psychologists so important to this whole process? I mean, what was happening with the psychiatrists of the United States? What was happening with other physicians? This is where it can get complicated sometimes, and I want to try to express this as, as clearly as possible. Um, in the Enhanced Interrogation Program, you had two roles for health professionals, and these roles were conjoined. Role one was actually designing and implementing the tactics, um, and that's what James Mitchell and Bruce Jessen did. The second role is this monitoring and indemnification role to say that we have not crossed this threshold of severe and long-lasting harm. Now, that role changes throughout the program. It begins with Ubibe making sure that a line hasn't been crossed. But by the time we get By being now being a federal judge, explain his role. He was assistant uh, attorney general uh, for uh, the Office of Legal Counsel. And uh, uh, John Yu worked for him um, in that office, and he was responsible for primarily crafting the first torture memo. At University of California, Berkeley Law. Yes, at Bolt And now... Um, we move forward in time. And so what we can see in these emails is that at the time the APA was really working hard. Its engine was going overdrive on these issues between 2004 and 2005 in direct contact with the CIA. You have another process going on, which is the creation of that new legal authorization that we now know George Tenet asked for upon his resignation. And that's what we call the Bradbury Memo. In that memo, there is a significantly changed role for this second group of health professionals, putting Mitchell and Jensen aside, the monitors, the researchers. And it moves from them determining whether you cross the line to determining the line. And to determine the line, that required research. And so we see in the Bradbury memos very clearly, as we documented in the Physicians' Human Rights Report, Experiments in Torture in 2010, is that they were having to look at the effect of the tactics to the whole detainee population over years and determine what the line was because there was no clinical literature on Last December, psychologist James Mitchell, who was contracted by the CIA to design its interrogation program, appeared on Fox News to talk about his role in the waterboarding of Abu Zubaydah. He was interviewed by Megyn Kelly. Zubaydah shut down. And they asked, 
of me to come back to the uh, campus. And it was clear to me when I was at the campus, listened to what people were saying, that there was so much pressure about trying to head off this second wave that was coming that they were going to use some kind of physical coercion. And so I, uh, I've been spent a lot of time in the Air Force Air School, and I see what happens when people sort of make stuff up on the fly. And in the course of the conversations, I said, if you're going to use physical coercion, not that you should use physical coercion, but if you're going to use physical coercion, then you, can, you should use physical coercion that has been demonstrated over 50 years not to produce the kinds of injuries we would like to avoid. Okay. So you, were you the one actually conducting the techniques on Abu Zubaydah, or were you in more of a sort of background role? It depends on when you're talking about. Initially, I was in a background role. Then after it shut down and the uh, uh, enhanced interrogations were approved, I, I was in an administration role. Okay. So did you personally waterboard him? Yes. We're going to get to Khalid Sheikh Mohammed in a minute, but, but sticking with Abu Zubaydah for now, were all of the methods that were recited in, this, in the Senate uh, report employed, like nudity, standing sleep deprivation, the attention grab, the insult slap, were those all used? The ones you mentioned were used. The, the facial grab, the abdominal slap, the kneeling stress position, walling? Walling was used. Uh, the others, what if, they, what if they showed up on the list, they, they were used. We didn't typically use a lot of those stress positions. We didn't use any stress positions with his radar because he had an injury. That's psychologist James Mitchell, who was in the APA from 2001 to 2006, admitting on Fox News that he waterboarded um, Abu Zubaydah, the prisoner. Um, Dr. Steve Reisner, we are wrapping up right now. Your response uh, to Mitchell. Well, this, was, this is chilling to listen to the description of a psychologist dedicated to the public good and individual well-being, uh, talking about destroying uh, prisoners' mind and body. And... It was, it was chilling to the medical professionals in the CIA who were pushing back. It was chilling to the inspector general who was pushing back. The program was shut down. And just at that moment when the program was shut down, the uh, Office of Legal Counsel, the White House, the, some members of the CIA and the American Psychological Association appear to have all worked together to revive that program and to find the rationale for psychologists to be able to help that program continue. So what are you looking for now? What is the next step that's taking place right now with the American Psychological Association? Well, as we heard from uh, Senator Feinstein um, when James Risen's article came out last week, um, there's clear congressional interest in what happens next. And uh, she uh, said in her statement that she is looking forward to the results of the Hoffman investigation, the independent review of alleged collusion. Now, is this independent? He has been hired by the American Psychological yes. Association. It is called by the APA the independent review. Uh, Dr. Reisner and I and our co-authors have uh, met extensively with David Hoffman, and obviously uh, the proof will be in the pudding when the report is released. But right now, the next Did step... the APA say they will release the report? Well, this is a big issue, Amy, is the APA has said that the board will review it, and after
director reviews it will release it. And as we've been calling for, they need to release it for the public right now. When you have Senator Feinstein saying she wants to see this report, there cannot be a half step before it goes to the public. The key issue now is to put pressure on the American Psychological Association uh, to release the report to the public as soon as it is completed. Your response to the, what Kirk Hubbard said, the former CIA psychologist, who in a 2012 interview with the Constitution Project Task Force on Detainee Treatment um, said um, that detainees are not patients, nor are they being treated by the psychologist. Therefore, the ethical guidelines for clinicians do not apply, in my opinion. Psychologists can play many different roles and should not be forced into a narrow doctor-patient role. The Declaration of Helsinki, the Declaration of Tokyo, the Nuremberg Code, U.S. law, the Geneva Conventions are not based on whether someone's a patient. It's based on whether someone's a human being. And the fact of the matter is that those codes were mangled and in some cases written out of what the APA did. So the issue is not about doctor-patient relationship here. It is about war crimes, about crimes against humanity, which are not contingent on someone being your patient. I want to thank you both for being with us, Nathaniel Raymond and Dr. Stephen Reisner, uh, co-authors of the new report, All the President Psychologists. We will link to it at democracynow.org. This is Democracy. So that was um, two of the authors that penned the, the new findings based upon emails. Uh, really to expose the lies because the APA has denied for years that they had any involvement, that they had no, uh, that um, Mitchell and Jessen were, who were two of the architects that helped to design these type of um, enhanced interrogation, deprivation, et cetera. Now, mind you, you can go all the way back to MK Ultra, uh, MK Bluebird, and those. Um, deprivation experiments that were done under Ewan Cameron and company, along with universities, medical facilities, hospitals, research institutes, who were involved with those types. They came up with uh, KUBARC, I believe was the operational manual in terms of uh, how to break people down. You can go to SEER training, survival, evasion, resistance, escape. And uh, those elite soldiers who go through the protocol in case they are captured by a totalitarian fascist type of nation and are interrogated. But the denial that came out of the APA was pretty, pretty adamant. But the emails show that they were in communication, working hand in glove with the Bush administration. One of the key things that needs to be recognized is that although the uh, Office of Legal Counsel penned the memos redefining what was cruel, unusual, and degrading and or what constituted torture under the Bush administration, the Obama administration has continued to follow through. Not on helping or to stopping, but to facilitate continued non-consensual human experimentations that are going on outside the walls of these detention facilities. So the next one I want to play that I attempted to do this morning but was also disrupted uh, upon listening to the playback, uh, the, the archive playback, uh, recording playback for TalkShoe. Um, is Dr. Robert J. Lifton, the author of The Nazi Doctor, psychologist, and, and he weighs in 
on his expertise, having studied the whole dynamics of the psychopathology of those who become involved and how they try to cover up at their levels or how they try to justify in specious arguments why they do what they do or what gives them what gave the, gives them the right or the false belief. Um, and so I tried to do this recording this morning, but again, upon listening to the uploaded archive recording, there were several disruptions in the audio. But it's called the technique that is utilized is a stop loss technique. So after this recording, because I have someone in the room right now stating that the audio is okay. So upon doing this next upload of the archive of this recording, we will see. So it's Robert J. Lifton, author of The Nazi Doctor, Psychologist Who Aided Torture Should Be Charged. Thursday, May 7, 2015, Democracy Now! emerged on how the American Psychological Association, the world's largest group of psychologists, aided government-sanctioned torture under President George W. Bush. A group of dissident psychologists has just published a 60-page and the Pentagon leading American psychiatrists who have spoken out against the APA's practices. So the American Psychological Association has about 150,000 members, the largest association in the world. That's the APA. The little APA is the American Psychiatric Association, which I assume you're a part of. Uh, Dr. Robert J. Lifton, your thoughts on what the APA did? Uh, what the APA did, and I read that report, is what I call a scandal within a scandal. That is, uh, I've been much concerned with the behavior of professionals and their ethics, not just in terms of how they conduct their everyday profession, that's important enough, but their relationship to the world ethically. I became interested in this in uh, working with veterans of the Vietnam War, and in that war, military psychiatrists uh, would be in a position when examining a soldier who was brought to them with anxiety and a sense of outrage at what was going on, would be in the position of helping that soldier to be strong enough to return to duty, which meant daily atrocities. And I asked myself, how did a psychiatrist find himself in that situation? And it had to do with a military structure of medicine uh, and with a psychiatrist entering into what I called an atrocity-producing situation. In my work with Nazi doctors, it was even, of course, much more extreme, probably the most extreme example of any profession of any country 
uh, engaging in uh, extremely immoral behavior, engaging directly in killing because Nazi physicians were in charge of the killing in Auschwitz, and that's what I studied in that in that research. Uh, but you know, what's interesting? Uh, both Armin and I saw you speak last night on a very different issue on the Ar- Armenian genocide, um, and you talked about uh, the significance of Dr. Joseph Mengele um, dying uh, without acknowledging what he did. Yes, when. Uh, Mengele, who was a notorious fanatical Nazi, quite unusual in that way among doctors, um, was found to be dead in a in a lake in Argentina. Survivors of Auschwitz were upset that there wasn't the opportunity to bring him to the dock so that he could confront his crimes. It wasn't so much a desire for revenge as it was for justice. So I mentioned that survivors of Holocaust or genocide or survivors in general are what can be called collectors of justice. They need a sense of justice for their own healing. Uh, but, uh, now here we have American psychologists. Uh, there were psychiatrists involved early also in the enhanced interrogation, which spilled over into torture in American use. Fortunately, American Psychiatric Association had slightly more enlightened leadership, and uh, and we had the advantage of doctors' uh, Hippocratic oath, which is do no harm, and there could be developed uh, a resolution prohibiting any physician, any psychiatrist from uh, being in the interrogation room. The American Psychological Association took an opposite uh, tendency. It's one thing, and there were a couple of psychologists who were well-known who helped create the torture and the whole psychological regimen for the torture crudely and uh, very unscientifically, but with the claim of psychological science. It's still another level when the professional organization supports torture by meeting with the administration and those people who were looking for some some legitimation coming from a professional group for torture. And that's what the American Psychological Association did. And that's all too reminiscent of what the Nazis called Gleischolting. I'm not saying they're Nazis. We're not Nazis. We're still a sufficiently open society to confront this criticize it and do something about it. But with the Nazis, there was this process of Weisholtum, meaning reordering or re-gearing all professional organizations, not destroying them, but breaking them down and reconstructing them to serve the Nazi project. That's the kind of thing we, we must and can confront and avoid here. Well, last December, uh, psychologist James Mitchell, who was contracted by the CIA while still a member of the American Psychological Association to design its interrogation program, appeared on Fox News to talk about his role in the waterboarding of Abu Zubaydah. He was interviewed by Megyn Kelly. So you, were you the one actually conducting the techniques on Abu Zubaydah, or were you in more of a sort of background role? It depends on when you're talking about. Initially, I was in a background role. Then after we shut down and the uh, 
enhanced interrogations were approved, I I was in an administration role. Okay, so do, did you personally waterboard him? Yes. We're going to get to Khalid Sheikh Mohammed in a minute, but, but sticking with Abu Zubaydah for now, were all of the methods that were recited in the, in the Senate uh, report employed, like nudity, standing sleep deprivation, the attention grab, the insult slap, were those all used? The ones you mentioned were used. The, the facial grab, the abdominal slap, the kneeling stress position, walling? Walling was used. Uh, the other... What if, they, what if they showed up on the list, they, they were used. We didn't typically use a lot of those stress positions. We didn't use any stress positions with those later because he had an injury. Uh, that was psychologist James Mitchell uh, speaking on Fox News last December. Uh, he was the psychologist who was uh, asked by the CIA to design its uh, interrogation <laughs> program. Uh, could you uh, talk about that, Dr. Lipson, and in particular in the context of what you called earlier an atrocity-producing situation? What enabled this to occur? Professionals are as prone to being socialized to the norm of a group, including being socialized to evil, as are any other uh, groups in American society. What that means is that psychologists in this case, and there are others from other professions, uh, internalize what is considered to be acceptable and appropriate for them in carrying out their profession. So torture exists there is the nod from the administration, go ahead with torture, and psychologists then adapt to that, uh, and in this case, become not just participants in torture, but the creators of the methods of torture. That's a shocking clip, because it shows him uh, kind of slightly reluctantly admitting that they do all those things. Of course, uh, it's denied that they're torture, and that's absurd. They're out now of torture. But the fact that they'll come on a network program and describe it as something legitimate is another level of scandal. After all, torture has been conducted, you know, from the time of the beginning of history. It's always been seen, especially in recent centuries, as something evil. You can judge a society as to whether it engages in torture. You condemn a society that uh, engages in torture. In our case, uh, looking at the sequence, one can praise the Obama administration for ending that torture, but one must criticize the Obama administration for blocking any examination or confrontation of our role in torture you showed an interesting clip about the city of Chicago confronting and at least recognizing that the police had engaged in torture of certain suspects. Well, that doesn't undo what they did, but it's a step toward some kind of ethical advance. Uh, and for the United States to have engaged in torture on such a widespread dimension, to have legitimated it, uh, among professionals like psychologists, for psychologists and others to have created and participated in it uh, is something that we have to confront as a nation to move ahead 
in something like an ethical way. And when you talk about confronting, what exactly do you mean? You've just given a psychological, sociological explanation, understanding, for example, uh, James Mitchell, Mitchell and Jess, and the company, the two <clears throat> psychologists that the Pentagon funneled money into, not to mention other psychologists who didn't even work for them uh, working at Guantanamo and Abu Ghraib. But should they be brought up on charges? Of course they should. Um, the, there are many situations that I can probe psychologically or psychohistorically, as we say, but have to be approached politically for some kind of resolution. And this is an example of that. Uh, a proper confrontation of what we did would mean a real investigation that didn't stop uh, as we got to the top. It's, of course, the, uh, the uh, order for uh, torture being acceptable and uh, advised comes from above, comes from the highest uh, sources in the administration. That has to be uncovered by uh, an investigation, and there has to be a legal context whether or not everybody who participated in torture is in some way condemned and put to jail. I don't know, but at minimum, there must be uh, confrontation and revelation of what was done, who did it, what the consequences were, and how to prevent it in the future. What do you think of this comment by CIA psychologist, former CIA psychologist Kirk Hubbard, who served as the CIA's chief of operations of the Operational Assessment Division before he joined Mitchell Jessen Associates? In 2012, Hubbard told the Constitution Project's task force on detainee treatment, quote, Detainees are not patients, nor are they being treated by the psychologist. Therefore, the ethical guidelines for clinicians do not apply, in my opinion. Psychologists can play many different roles and should not be forced into a narrow doctor-patient role. Dr. Robert J. Lifton, your response. What you heard, what you just recited, is a rat rationalization for torture and for destructive behavior on the part of professionals. All professions uh, require some sort of ethical code, uh, as I said before, not just in everyday practice, but in what they do in society. And to weasel out of any such ethical requirement, uh, because one is because one is uh, dealing not with patients but with prisoners. And of course, this that administration didn't even give them prisoner rights according to Geneva Conventions, to do that is simply a rationalization for destructive or even evil behavior. We're talking to Dr. Robert J. Liston, a leading American psychiatrist, author of many books, including Witness to an Extreme Century, a memoir. We'll be back with him talking about a number of issues, including another of his books. So that was Dr. Robert J. Liston. Um, and he was giving his opinion in terms of actually doing a psychoanalysis uh, of the very professionals that utilize specious arguments to justify what simply cannot be justified, which is to try to or to work directly with an administration in order to cover up crimes by stating that through their expertise, X, Y, and Z does not constitute cruel, unusual, degrading treatment and or torture. So like I've always said, these would be the theory-driven jackasses 
in the beltway that are too chicken shit to put their own human biologies and or neurologies in the case of the advancement of um, biometric, biological, technological capabilities in interrogation, lie detection, you know, facial, optical, vocal, emotion, to brain recognition, etc. And putting themselves in the line of fire. And seeing what it really feels like. There were some conservatives, actually, who sat there and uh, went on and on until they decided to put themselves in the line of fire and allowed themselves to be waterboarded. And in, in, in every case, they said it was torture. And they were in a controlled environment. They knew that it was going to be done. And they knew that they could stop it at any time. I believe there's a rap, uh, rap artist um, who... Uh, was willing to have himself force-fed. And the trauma of what transpired in just one occasion in a controlled environment caused that man to break down into tears. Targets continue to be tortured, terrorized, traumatized, so that those involved in these experiments, training, calibration, of weaponized capabilities are not in a controlled environment. They are being indiscriminately fired upon from all angles and having to survive it. And I'll continue to say it, that I'm not going to stop and to those directly involved and those who actively participated from within the civilian communities are brought to criminal justice for the crimes that they have committed. So let's see how this uh, recording goes, because I've tried it. Uh, I recorded a few days ago the first um, audio that you heard from Democracy Now! And I did this one this morning with Dr. Lifton, but that was also disrupted. So let's see who's going to go into the recording, or who, while I was listening, uh, while I was do, uh, play, replaying the recording, um, and there is a guest in the room who's saying that the audio is clear. So we'll see how the playback is, and if the audio, the volume on the audio, goes in and out, because that can mean one of two things: remote a- criminal, illegal, warrantless remote access to my PDA my cell phone, that is remotely uh, turning up and down the volume at their indiscriminate firing and or talks you is doing something to the recordings prior to their being uploaded to the archives. But in either case, you can go back to uh, episode 737 and 738 and you will see the complete drop in volume. But this is the type of disruption that happens, one, because it's a psychological technique called stop loss. And if the information is relevant and the flow of what is being uh, provided is too close to the truth for these people to be able to handle, they will immediately disrupt the recording. But stop loss means that there's a flow of information that is being provided, whether I'm speaking or I'm playing an audio, that is relevant 
to explaining what is transpiring. And in order to disrupt that, because they know the flow is happening, and people, they might even be monitoring, neural monitoring, a group of people who are listening, and they're grasping the concept, and because they see it through the EEG signals, they'll disrupt the recording so that it stops them from being in that flow of critical thinking. And then the more delay there is, the more likely it lo- you lose the flow that you were in. But only cowards and criminals would want to stop loss information because it's too close to showing what type of barbaric monsters they really are. So that's my recording for today, the second time around on two of the recordings that you just heard or in terms of the playback from Democracy Now!, because they truly are relevant, especially for those targets who've already documented how extensive the medical profession has been involved. Academia has been involved. Not just state and corporate, but academia and medical be it the psychological or psychiatric communities, sociologists, anthropologists, all those that claim to that claim to have to know better and that would never cross those ethical lines. They ran roughshod over those lines. They blurred them and tried to erase them. But thank goodness that there's still ethical professionals out there who are unwilling to allow them to erase and or blur those lines because they're clear-cut lines. So for me, yes, it's been validating to hear these reports, but it's not enough. And it'll never be enough until those directly involved are brought to criminal justice. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.